The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, we're fortunate today to have a very special guest, biotech entrepreneur Paul Hopper, who needs no introduction in the industry. That's because Paul has been involved in creating and running dozens of biotech ventures, both on the ASX and abroad. He also has many years of experience providing corporate advice and financial analysis uh, to many companies, both uh, big and small. Most recently, though, Paul was instrumental in raising funds for the IPO and subsequent ASX listing of Chimeric Therapeutics, which delves into the hot cancer treatment area called CAR-T. Paul also founded or seeded technology into the ASX-listed cancer plays Petrus, Casia, and Imugene, and he also founded Prescient Therapeutics. And uh, somewhat famously, he uh, chaired the immune oncology outfit Virolytics, which Big Pharma Merck bought for half a billion dollars a couple of years ago and uh, at a massive premium. Uh, So uh, welcome, Paul. Thank you, Tim. Good to be here. Excellent, excellent. So, so Paul, just just starting with your your, your background because you're you're quite interesting, uh, really, because you're you're not a medical scientist or, or, or boffin in, in in the strictest sense, uh, are you? Although I'm sure you can sort of uh, find your way around the science of it all. No, I'm not. My actual formal training was uh, a degree in uh, philosophy and political science, but the day I graduated, I got a job with uh, a Sydney stockbroker and remained in the banking, broking industry um, up until about 30 when I, just by sheer luck, got into a hospital company called uh, Alpha Healthcare. And uh, then in uh, about 2000, I decided to have a look at the biotech space and entered it, and that's what I've done ever since. Yeah, okay. So you kind of, uh, you, you, you kind of fell into the area, uh, basically. Yeah, it's one of those things where it wasn't actually that prescriptive. I I saw an opportunity and it looked good and so I went for it. And when I was introduced to some cancer specialists in the US on a trip there um, and they explained to me what they were doing in terms of drug discovery, it was extraordinarily interesting and I decided then that I'd get deeply involved in the biotech industry. And uh, what was the uh, first company or enterprise you're, you're ever involved in? in the life sciences space? It was a little Australian company called Australian Cancer Technology, which had a a small molecule drug for prostate cancer, but um, I was only with that for a couple of years and went off to do other things. Yeah, okay, okay. And what what, what, what became of them? Oh, look, in the end, I think they basically were shut down. I, I think that occurred probably around 2008, 2009, but I, I didn't follow them after I'd left and they went on their merry way. Yeah, okay, okay. And how many, how many companies do you reckon you've been involved in, in, in all over the years? Uh, well, I've been on the board of about 13 biotech companies, publicly traded biotech companies. And as you mentioned, I've been responsible for either founding or technology seeding 
you know, chimeric imaging, Patris Kazia prescient. Um, and then I had another company called Polynoma, which had a melanoma vaccine, which um, I sold to Li Ka Shing in Hong Kong. And then I have another company that um, is that listed in December last year on, in, on NASDAQ called Scopus, which has a, a small molecule STAT3 inhibitor. So a lot of different businesses over the years. Yeah, okay. And and uh, most, but n- not all, but, but most of uh, the companies have been in the cancer field. Uh, so, so, so what uh, attracts you to, uh, to the oncology space in, in particular? Um, I don't really have a precise answer to that, but it, it was the first sort of indica- first area in biotech that I came across, and it sort of struck me as being incredibly exciting. And, of course, everybody on earth has some connection with cancer, either through losing a loved one or a friend or a relative. So it was obviously an incredibly pressing need. And the people I met working in the field were incredibly inspirational. And I thought, wow, um, you know, I was a banker for a long time and, you know, pushing money around is not particularly satisfying. Um, And yet in the biotech space, particularly oncology, you think about it, the, the, if you find something that even if it um, prolongs life and doesn't cure it, it's transformational for, for, for mankind. So it's a, it's a great industry to be involved in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the, the uh, pu- pushing the money around. I mean, you're quite, uh, well, you, you, you're very adept at uh, raising <laughs> funds for, for biotech. You're sort of somewhat of a, a biotech whisperer, uh, in, uh, in fact. Uh, so, so what's sort of the art of raising funds? Look, I, I think I'm lucky because I've had some very good companies and people have, have done very well out of it. So they're always interested in my what I'm doing. But I think you've got to, the art of raising money is you have to have a credible story um, and you have to have credible people behind you because after, after the intrinsic value or merit of the technology itself, the most important thing is the team because without the team, good drugs won't get developed and of course bad drugs will never get developed so having the right people around you is absolutely critical and that i think investors can tell that um and i get i get rung up all the time asking for help from people on how to raise money and you know there's some really basic stuff i mean you have to have a story that is believable you have to have um, materials that present the story and if there are issues with the technology that is if there's hair on the deal you have to acknowledge it, but you have to have a credible, you don't have to have an answer, but you have to have a credible response on how you're going to deal with it. So it, it, there's a whole bunch of different things, but I would say the, 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 the key thing to raising money, of course, is the inherent merit of the technology itself, followed by having an outstanding uh, management team. And I think people, uh, investors see that. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so you've got the technology right. And what makes for an outstanding management team? Um, I'm kind of presuming you need that sort of balance between the, the scientific and medical acumen and, uh, and, and the, uh, the commercial know-how. Yeah, so I think the, what you need is the domain experience. So if you're going to go into the CAR-T space, you absolutely have to have people who have done it before and know their way in and out of the CAR-T space or cell therapy space. So um, acquiring a technology and then trying to develop it with an existing management team that has no skill in that space 
is, I think, a, a disastrous way to approach uh, developing a drug. So you want people who can come in, who you can hire, that know this space and they hit the ground running, they know the people, they know the pitfalls, they know the issues about manufacturing, they know what the FDA thinks about the approach. That's the way you get ahead. And, and I think you know, I've been lucky I've had very good people like that in my companies. Yeah, and I guess like any industry, it's uh, it, it, it's about who you know, or, or it's about about knowing the people in the first place and being, being confident yeah, because of their track record. Yeah, and it saves a lot of time, where so that you don't have to wander around making cold calls, trying to find out or asking consultants. You know, where do I go for this? These people. In the case of Chimeric, I've got two industry leaders, one from Kite, which is probably the most successful CAR-T company, and another from uh, Legend Bio, which was the biggest biotech uh, IPO on NASDAQ last year. These two people know their way around the space. They know everybody who's doing what in the industry. They know what the FDA's attitude is towards uh, cell therapy. They know where the manufacturers are. They don't, we don't have to go searching. I just ask them and they know straight away, which is an incredible advantage. Yeah, okay, okay. And I'd better ask you at this stage about CAR-T and, and Chimeric uh, and uh, sort of how and why you uh, put Chimeric uh, together. It um, listed a couple of weeks ago uh, on, on the exchange uh, quite, quite successfully. Yeah, so look, um, I, I lived in the US for about 12 years and I got to know many of the major institutions, their tech transfer office. So as you're probably aware, the universities develop a drug to a certain point and then their business model is to find licensees to take it on, finance it and take it through phase one trials, hopefully to approval. So when I lived in the US, I got to know many of the universities and medical institutions and one of those was City of Hope. And I got to know them pretty well. And in fact, two years ago, I licensed an oncolytic virus from them, which is in Imogene now. And then last year, um, early last year, I licensed another small molecule drug from them, which is in Scopus, which we listed on NASDAQ in December. And on one of my many visits out there, I've always been aware that City of Hope has this premier reputation in the cell therapy space and in particular CAR-T. I think they've dosed over 500 people with CAR-T drugs over the years. So they're well recognized. And I heard about this drug coming out of the lab of uh, Professor Christine Brown and Mike Barish and um, did a little bit of research on it and was you know, just blown away. It was essentially a brain um, a treatment for glioblastoma or brain cancer. And the targeting agent in the CAR-T was a peptide which was derived from the Deathstalker scorpion, which was sort of pretty sort of out there. Um, and I did my diligence and it looked really good. So I went to City of Hope and said I'd like to license it. And they said, well, actually, Paul, um, this is really a drug for Big Pharma, one of the big CAR-T companies, you know, the Novartis's or the Kites or the Legends or the BMS's of the world. You know, we like you. Thanks for your interest, but we'll be licensing to them. I got to know Professor Brown pretty well over the next couple of months because I was there every month and would go and see her. And um, she got to know what was happening at Imogene where I put a oncolytic virus from City of Hope into Imogene and she spoke to the professor at City of Hope, Professor Yuman Fong, and he was very enthusiastic about the process and how Imogene was travelling. And Christine Brown sort of came to the view that Maybe this would do really well within um, my company, 
Chimeric Therapeutics Limited. And so after a, a long period of time, we were able to convince City of Hope to let me license the technology, and I did that last year. Yeah, okay. So you sort of snuck under the uh, the radar of, of Big Pharma from the sounds of it. So this uh, this technology wasn't sort of uh, uh, auctioned off to the highest uh, bidder, if you like. They uh, they, they had Correct. confidence in, in in what you'd done, particularly with with Imogene, and uh, were happy to uh, to uh, to go with you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, 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 car T. It's uh, it, it's a very new field, isn't it? And uh, it's um, uh, I, I take it there's uh, there are about four therapies approved, but uh, they're all for um, uh, blood cancers. Uh, correct. But, correct. But there's, there's nothing out there for, uh, for for solid tumors yet. No, no, there's not. I mean, that's sort of the holy grail of CAR T therapy to find a um, a car that works in. In, in one of the solid tumours, and we, we are hoping that the, the target of our drug, which is a, a molecule on brain cancer called MMP2, uh, will be the target that works because MMT, MMP2 is found also on other, lots of other cancers, but it's not found on healthy cells, so you don't have any tox problems. So um, the purpose of the phase one is to demonstrate that we can get some, I mean, the, the basic purpose of a phase one is to de- demonstrate safety and to pick your recommended phase two dose, but it's also an opportunity to have a look if it's working. So that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, great, Paul. And the uh, scorpion uh, venom or, or, or milk, uh, what, what, what's the role of the, uh, the, the, the venom in, uh, in all of this? Right, so part of the process of making a CAR-T is that you take a T-cell and reprogram, I'm going to make, this is if there's any scientists listening, they might cringe. But effectively, what they do is they take the patient's T cells <laughs> and they reprogram the software in the T cell. And the reprogramming is done using the peptide from the scorpion's toxin. And what the effect of that is to turn the T cell into a CAR T cell and it becomes a guided missile that only wants to find one target on the surface of the cancer cell, which is that MMP2. If you don't have the MMP bullseye on your cancer cell, the CAR-T has nowhere to go. So why does putting using peptide from a scorpion uh, cause the T-cell the to become a deadly missile against a target? I, I don't know. I think the answer is lost, lost in the mist of evolution. It's very... I, I don't know exactly why, but for some reason it does. And... Um, and, it very, and all the preclinical data that was carried out by uh, Professor Brown and uh, Professor um, Barish demonstrated very clear targeting of the CAR-T against the target. So that's um, one of the great mysteries. Okay, great. And the good news is that no one has, has to actually go out and, and, and milk the scorpions. So they don't to go out to the Arizona desert and, and do that. It, it's made uh, synthetically. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I think it's a, a 36 amino acid peptide, something like that. So, no, they make it. Yeah, okay. It's a well-known therapeutic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I did get asked at one yeah. stage whether there were big vats of uh, scorpion toxin in the lab out there. Someone has had to go and milk the scorpions, but no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's a great relief. Um, Paul, um What's it like doing uh, business in Australia as a, as a biotech? Uh, how, how would you sort of sum up the uh, the pros and 
and the cons, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there's a bit of both. Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think the the sector has changed quite dramatically from about you know 15 years or so ago when I got involved in it, or 17 years ago. Um, the 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 issue has been, I think, is that life science or biotechnology is not hasn't been an established asset class, and so institutional funding or investment has been slow to come. Um, but today, there's a number of funds that do heavily invest in biotech, <clears throat> um, which may, which makes a big difference. What we don't have down here is any depth in the analyst market. So there's only a handful of people that actually, well, not probably not even a handful, there'd be a couple that can write really serious uh, biotech research on companies. Um, so th that's a little bit of a hindrance. A lot of the money is still retail money and the retail money is not always very sticky. So that's a challenge because the, obviously <clears throat> people make a, uh, a decent turn on the IPO and they sell out. Um, so, but, but I, I think it's, it's becoming much more sophisticated and you see a lot more family offices now diving into the, into the, uh, into the area and putting money in on IPOs, etc. So, you know, I, I like it. I like the market down here. I've got a lot of companies that are on, uh, on the ASX. I think one of the challenges is there's not a depth of management in Australia. So um, when you're looking for someone, you know, along the lines of the type of people I talked about earlier, real experts, we don't have that in Australia. So you often have to look offshore. I think a lot of the boards down here um, are really, really, um, uh, a lot of them need a shake-up because there are people sitting on boards of biotech companies that have absolutely no domain experience. And I often wonder, how do they contribute at board level when you get into things like CMC? And many of them, I'm being a bit harsh here, but a lot of them wouldn't know a small molecule from a biologic. So I think those sort of people that occupy space on biotech boards are really not much help and they don't do the companies that they serve any great justice. No, that's right. I guess to be fair though, you sort of get those time servers uh, uh, across, uh, across you any do. sector. You do. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you're quite right. It's not peculiar to yeah. life science. It's just that life science is such yeah. a, you know, it's not like transport or something like that. It, it, it is really deep sometimes and you, you need a, a certain level of understanding to get across some of the issues that emerge all the time in biotech, you know, clinical trials and manufacturing and safety and regulatory. Um, and I just wonder sometimes how do those people contribute? But you're right, it, it is a feature of a lot of other boards as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the science and, and, and understanding it. I, I sort of often get the impression that uh, uh, the... Uh, the movers, movers and shakers behind a company, uh, you know, certainly do understand the science and they've got all the right motivations, but uh, they just can't communicate it to the market. Yeah, look, I think... And their, their message just falls yeah, apart. Yeah, look, I think most people can tell a story, but not everyone can sell a story. And I don't mean that in a hype sort of um, way. I mean mm. it in a way that people get it and they feel your enthusiasm because enthusiasm is infectious and you do a presentation and you can tell when the presenter's really on board with it and the the 
the vibe is good in the room and, and you just know that if you're talking to a retail audience, there's going to be people there that go out and ring their broker and they'll buy $10,000 worth of shares or something like that. So you do you do have to be able to sell the story. And in, in the immunotherapy space and the CAR-T space, the science can be very complicated. So you need to be able to render it down in a manner which is understandable to the layman. And in Australia, a lot of the investor audience for biotech is lay. It's not like you know the US where you, you go to all the funds and you know for certain that the person sitting opposite you in the boardroom has got a PhD, knows as much about the area that you're presenting in as you do, and has probably had you know five or six or eight years in in big pharma labs, and they they know what they're talking about. So you've got to be on the ball. But I, in Australia, you, I think you need to be able to tell the story in a way which is understandable to the audience, and not everyone can do that. No, that's right. And, and, and finally, Paul, can you sort of encapsulate what, what motivates you? Uh, you're, you're you're very busy, but uh, I, I think it's fair to say you uh, don't uh, don't don't need to work, uh, or certainly not not at this pace. So um, yeah, what, what um, makes you get up in the morning? Okay, so I don't really consider it as work. I I really enjoy what I do. We have a lot of fun. I've got um, a great team of people that work in all my companies and. We all get on well. We the, the chemistry is good. Um, we get together socially several times, you know, more than several times a year. In fact, I have, you know, uh, sixteen of them coming to my place on Friday night for dinner. Um, I happen to work with some of the brightest people on earth. The people who are, you know, I often say peering into the origins of life. Maybe it's not the origins of life, but it's certainly a key part of you know living beings. And cancer, of course, is the scourge of, of everybody today. So I'm, I'm lucky to have to deal with those people. And I've become uh, quite close friends with a lot of them, a lot of the scientists. And I see them when I'm in America or when they come out here. Um, it's, it's a great industry to be in. And can you imagine, you know, how transformational it would be if one of these drugs works? It really would be, wow. So um, I, I treat it as... Um, as an enjoyable occupation, not so much as work. It's it's it really is it really is a, a great sector to be in. Excellent. All right. Great. Well, look. I hope that uh, uh, life saving uh, uh, new drug is, is unearthed. And, and and from an investor sense, um, I hope uh, I hope we see the uh, the next uh, virulytics uh, uh, coming from our shores. Yeah. So, fingers um, crossed. Yes. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> so uh, great, great to talk, Paul. Thank you very much, Tim. Bye-bye.